I'm Kaylina Mills, and you're listening to the first official episode of 123 All Ears on Me. To kickstart the show, we're going to hear more about a hot button topic in the early childhood field here in Maine the quality rating and improvement system. Our quality rating and improvement system is referred to as QRIS, it's an acronym. In Maine, we've had a QRIS called Quality for Me since 2008. Earlier this year, the state launched the new QRIS system, which is now called Rising Stars. In this episode, we will hear from Jen Wiles, the statewide communications coordinator at Maine Roads to Quality Professional Development Network, who is supporting programs as they transition to Rising Stars across the state. We will also hear from some local child care program directors to see what their thoughts are on the new Rising Star program. When we return, we'll hear more about what a QRIS is and what it's for. Are you thinking about going back to school to get your early childhood education degree? Maine AEYC and the Office of Child and Family Services wants to make it happen for you. We are proud to facilitate the Teach Scholarship Program so that early childhood educators throughout the state can go back to school to get their associate or bachelor's degree with most expenses covered. The Teach Program is unique because it's a partnership between you, Maine AEYC, and your employer. Together we all work to ensure that you can successfully meet your career and educational goals. If you get a TEACH scholarship, Maine AEYC pays for 85% of your tuition costs, your employer pays for 7.5%, and you are only responsible for the remaining 7.5% of your tuition cost. For those seeking their associate degree, that's an average of only $260 per year that you must pay out of pocket. Exactly, Tony. You can get your degree through the TEACH scholarship program for very little money and without having to take out loans. It's such a phenomenal program to support early childhood educators throughout Maine. In addition to funding your tuition, TEACH recipients are paid for two hours a week of release time so that they can study without losing pay from work or time from their families. The scholarship provides a stipend each term and the scholarship pays for 85% of your book costs. The scholarship provides so much to its recipients. And in addition to all of those benefits, Teach Scholarship recipients get one-on-one counseling and support from a Maine AEYC staff member to ensure that they can successfully complete their program. It's so simple to apply for a Teach Scholarship. Go to maineayc.org application and download the application to your computer. After that, it should only take about 30 minutes to fill out the form and apply. Again, that's maineauic.org slash application, M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash application. Apply for a Teach Scholarship today and get back into the classroom to get your degree. Now I have with me Jen Wiles, the Early Childhood Quality Improvement Systems Coordinator for the Main Roads to Quality Professional Development Network. The acronym we use to refer to that big long title is MRTQ, which stands for Maine Roads to Quality. So Jen, can you give us an overview of what Rising Stars and a quality rating improvement system is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a quality rating and improvement system is uh, based on like uh, national research um, that is helping early childhood programs to uh view nationally evidence-based recognized uh indicators of quality 
So it's a way for programs to be recognized for the quality care that they're already providing while also giving them a roadmap to here are here's what research says high quality programs look like. So that's just a general um, overview of a QRIS. In Maine, uh, we have our very own um, quality rating and improvement system called Rising Stars for Me, which is new uh, starting at the end of March of 2023. Uh, folks would have known it by its original name, Quality for Me, um, that we rolled out in 2008. Um, so our system in Maine, um, Rising Stars for Me, we have eight standard areas uh, that break down different components of an early childhood program, everything from developmentally appropriate practice to staffing to engaging with families. Um, in the new Rising Stars, we've added an additional standard on health, safety, physical activity, and nutrition. Um, so that's very exciting for us to have that um, in the mix now as well. Um, and what we ask programs to do is fill out an online application, uh, rate themselves uh, using the requirements within the standards. Um, we also use administratively linked data from the Main Roads to Quality Registry. So those would be things like uh, levels on the career lattice and training. And then at the end, the program gets an overall rating. Um, so that's just a, a general overview of, of what the system is. Um, the other big piece of it is that the ratings for programs and their information about Rising Stars are now displayed on childcarechoices.me, which is our state's childcare search website for families looking for childcare. So this is also, we are also really being intentional about bringing families in. Um, to the mix with our with our new and improved quality rating and improvement system. And so are other states' quality rating and improvement systems similar to ours? Uh, so the there is such a wide array of what states are doing across the country. Uh, at this point, most states do have some version of a QRIS. Um, most of them are statewide, but a few states still have like regional QRIS systems. Um, like Florida and um, California have a couple of regional ones. And so they're doing everything from um, just very limited QRIS systems that only involved, that only involve like centers or Head Start or like really big programs. And there are others that uh, like Louisiana rates every single kind of program in their state, including uh, public schools. Um, they're using things like class, um, environmental rating scales. So it's very, um, it's super comprehensive and uh, really birthed through the end of high school. Um, so that's just kind of a, a picture of the wide array of what states are doing nationally. There is a great resource uh, called the Build Initiative that has um, some great webinars about uh, national trends in quality rating and improvement. Um, and all kinds of issues related to early childhood policy. And then if you want to get really geeky, there's the qriscompendium.org website that really you can do a search of what's going on nationally. Okay. So ours is kind of leaning more towards the comprehensive side, but not, not quite at that level of like Louisiana's, for example. 
Yeah, so I would say where Maine really diverges from the national trends is that we are including everyone, right? So we have now um, all license programs are required to join uh, QRIS and also license exempt non-relative programs. So we have folks who are providing care for one one or two children um, and receiving childcare subsidy dollars. Um, They're included. Uh, Municipal rec programs that are not required to be licensed are also included. So as far as the last couple of national webinars I've attended, Maine is really the only, one of the only, if not the only state that does that. So okay, we are always leading the way. <laughs> always. Dear ago, right? Mm-hmm. So you talked about how there was a QRIS system that was started in 2008. This year in 2023, we started a new rating system. Um, so can you tell me more about how the new rating system, Rising Stars, was created? Sure, yeah. Um, It was a long history with quality for me, so I will consolidate it in that we rolled it out in 2008. Um, And then for the next few years, the state did what is called a validation study where we had um, trained researchers going into programs, um, using tools of the environmental rating scales to rate programs, with the end goal being to see, like, using an objective evidence-based tool, does our system actually reflect differences in quality um, in real life? And we found that studies show that, yes, there are significant differences between what was a step one and a step four program. It was a little bit less Um, delineated at steps two and three, but we did have, our system was validated. So that was good, but we also learned a lot along the way. Um, Then in 2013, 2014, the state uh, was looking to update the system um, to, I mean, obviously research is always changing. We want to be as current as possible. Um, So they commissioned a study with um, some of our partners here at the University of Maine to do more research, to do focus groups, to have an advisory committee, to see what was working well with quality for me and what we could change and where the field is going. So that brought in tons and tons of stakeholders, parents, partners, programs of all different types. Uh, We had regular meetings for a couple of years. Um, All of that work produced two reports. Um, that are available, um, I believe, on the OCFS website. Jargon alert! Jen just said OCFS. If you're not sure what that acronym means, you're not alone. OCFS stands for the Office of Family and Child Services, which is an office in the Department of Health and Human Safety at the state level. So all of that information, uh, once we kind of uh, gathered all of that. It did sit for a little bit. Um, and then uh, we kind of, when the Mills administration came in, there was a renewed interest in rolling out those changes. So 2000, uh, t- uh, 2020, 2019, 2020, we really um, got that system, the new system buffed up and ready to roll out. So that is where that are available, um, I believe on the OCFS website. From the validation study, from all those years of quality for me, the intensive study of that uh, revision team. Then looking forward to 
2020 and onward uh, where the field had had been going. So, to summarize what I'm hearing to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. Sure. Yeah. Um, you you did the validation study to see how the original system was working. You found that it was working, but there were some areas for improvement. And so you brought stakeholders together and from that created two reports on how the system could be improved. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, And what do you see as the major changes between the old system and the new rising stars system? Sure. Um, So the biggest difference is obviously we've got a new name. Um, Part of that came from the confusion between main roads to quality, quality for me. There was a lot of confusion that that was the same organization and we are not the same. So our new name, Rising Stars for me. Um, The next big change is that we went from a four-step program to a five-star program. Um, that was based on feedback from the revision studies, those papers that we put out, is that um, the stars were just a more generally recognizable uh, system um, for families. It also is a little bit, um, it's visual, right? So you can see what a star rating is. And then also we were having confusion again because there's uh, the main roads to quality registry has, a, has career lattices. That have levels, so it was a confusion between levels and steps. So we moved to the five-star system. Uh, we're bringing in those license-exempt programs that I mentioned before, um, so everyone is included in the system. Um, and then uh, the the big practical thing that programs will see is that we are doing everything online now. There's no requirement for programs to keep a paper portfolio. They will upload all of their documentation or links to their documentation into their e-portfolio within the application. And then I know our friends at the Office of Child and Family Services will talk about the on-site monitoring piece a lot more. Uh, But we, that was originally part of quality for me. Um, There wasn't staffing to really do it for many years, but we are bringing that back. Um, So when a site visit is done, there will be like spot checks of different documentation, but you won't have to have that big paper portfolio anymore. So, okay. Those are the big ones. Is there support for programs? Like some programs might not have Wi-Fi access in more remote parts of Maine or might not just be as tech savvy, uh, the people running the programs. Um, So is there support for people to do that online system or can they still do a paper portfolio? Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. So we, um, between MRTQPDN and our friends at the Office of Child and Family Services, we have many folks who are willing to help programs with any type of issue, whether it's technology or um, bugs in the system, questions about anything. But if a program is really struggling with the technical aspects, just have them give us a call. Uh, we don't want that to be a barrier for them. Um, so I think our approach to that will really be individualized to what each program um, needs. But it should not be lack of access uh, to Wi-Fi or challenges with technology should not be a barrier. And we're more than happy to help. Okay. That's good to know. I'm sure there are educators listening who are excited about that. Yes. 
What do you think is most important for those educators in Maine to know about Rising Stars right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think um, in general, change is hard, right? Like a lot has happened over the past few years. Folks are burnt out. Um, There are challenges in this field that we've had for years that are really peaking um, as a result of the pandemic and many other things. Um, So we understand that. Like, I want to make sure that folks understand that we are feeling that. We, We want folks to think of Rising Stars for me as a support for the field, not as pushing down more regulation and more requirement, right? So we are asking programs to go in, to do the application, to take a look around at what the standards are asking for. But if your program doesn't feel ready, you can just click through the application and get a rating of a star two and have met your obligation for licensing. We don't want it to be a burden for you. For those programs who are were, it, were heavily engaged with quality for me or who feel ready to be engaged with Rising Stars for me, we hope that you see it as an opportunity for your program to have some uh, a framework for continuous quality improvement for your program. So we're looking for programs to think about things like uh, what curriculum are you using? Um, how do you articulate that to families? We're asking them to think about uh, ongoing evaluation using family surveys, using staff surveys if you have staff, thinking about inclusive practices. We have a whole new tool called the Rising Stars for Me Inclusive Practices Checklist. Um, There are a ton of supports we have around using that tool. Even though we have the standards and we call them requirements, they're meant to be open-ended so that programs can set the goals and work on things that are meaningful for them and for their staff, for the children, and for the families. Hmm. So you're saying if if they're not ready to engage, they could just go through and check no on all the questions and they'd still be a star two? That's right. That's right. Yep. So then I'm curious, what is the difference between like a one-star program and a two-star program? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> so um, our star one programs are those license-exempt programs receiving child care subsidy program funding. So if you are a non-relative, say you're the neighbor across the street, you're taking one or two children, uh, and the family receives subsidy you are a star one. Um, and that's just by virtue of meeting the requirements to receive childcare subsidy program. I just want to make that clear is that star one programs are unlicensed. Um, if you are not licensed, but meet the requirements for childcare subsidy, you join the system at a star one. You don't have to fill out the application. Those, those folks don't have to fill out an application, but they also can't move up the system until they become licensed. Right. So your municipal rec programs, like I live in Portland, uh, the Portland rec programs take child care subsidy. So they come in at a star one. Okay. Okay. So anybody who's licensed is a star two. Gotcha. Baseline licensed, you are a star two. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I, I was curious, like if, if you'd basically just have to check no on everything, how does that make you a star two already? But that makes sense that it's the licensing. 
Yes. Yeah. And that was part of the design of the system. Is important. It was very important for the state to include those license exempt programs in the system. Um, so just by being, but just by the virtue of being licensed, you get that extra star. Cool. So what about programs who were at the higher rating in the old system? They were at step three or step four. Um, I know there are some benefits that they received. Um, I think, didn't they get like a higher subsidy reimbursement? Yes. Yeah, so um, there are incentives for programs to maintain, to move up and to maintain uh, higher ratings. One of those incentives is an increase um, in the subsidy payment. They call it um, a quality bump. So um, additional payment for those programs that are uh, maintaining a higher rating. Okay. So if you were at a step three or four, you don't automatically transition to a star three or four in the new system, correct? Um, so another great question. So when we did the transition, um, and I'm talking like the little elves on the computer that did the transition at the end of March, what we ha what we had to do so that we wouldn't have a system, so we wouldn't be running two different systems at the same time, totally confusing, is we migrated everyone from quality for me to rising stars for me. So that meant that um, your whatever your rating was on March 26th, when we, the little elves started their work, you got um, moved up one rating for your to reflect your rising stars for me rating. So all step one programs became star two. All uh, step two programs became star three. Um, so we did that so that it was just a clean transition. We're only running one system. Everybody gets in there that we didn't have like 2000 people trying to fill out the application all at one time. Um, so that happened. Folks should have received a new uh, paper certificate in the mail from OCFS. Um, if they didn't get one, uh, they can reach out to Amber and I will let her talk about that um, when you talk to them um, about the certificate pieces. Um, and then what we're in, we're coming to the end of what we're calling the grace period right now, uh, which is the end of September, September 29th. Um, so anybody who had an expiration date between the end of March and the end of September, they were given this grace period of six months and their expiration date was bumped to the end of September. And when I say expiration date in the new system, expiration dates for the QRIS for Rising Stars for Me align with license expiration dates. So the system will, you'll have to renew in the system every two years and it will align with your licensing date. So that is a bit of a change um, as well. Um, but if a program expired within the past six months, they will have to go in by the end of September and do the application to get their um, updated rating. Fact check. So this episode was filmed in mid-September before the end of that quote-unquote grace period that Jen is referring to. Since Jen and I spoke, OCFS and MRTQ have given an extension on the grace period until November 1st. So if your license expired uh, between March 27th, 2023 and October 31st, 2023, now you have until November 1st to get into the new QRIS system and submit that application. 
Um, if your license doesn't expire until 2024, you have until 2024 to, to go in and do the application. To summarize, we moved everybody, gave everybody a bump up to what their new rating would be in Rising Stars for Me. And now as we work through folks' uh, expiration dates, um, they'll have to go in as, as that date approaches and do the application to officially um, apply and get a rating with Rising Stars for Me. Yes, uh, there was an online application for quality for me as well. Um, there wasn't any uploading of documentation. Again, that was that paper portfolio. Quality for me had expiration dates every three years. So now they're going to be a little bit more frequent um, with the benefit being that um, it will align with your license date. So it's just one date that you have to remember. Uh, the second being that um, we'll have all your saved applications. So you can just go in and update it every two years. Um, you won't have to like fill, upload all of that documentation again. You'll have, you'll have to change anything that's been updated, um, but you won't be starting from scratch every, every other year um, like you were with Quality For Me. Okay. So really it's people have to put in that first push of time to fill out the application when they first start. But then after that, it should be much less time to fill it out and update it every two years. I would say so. Um, programs who do like, who put out a brand new uh, program handbook, for example, will have to reload, re-upload their, their parent handbook um, when those revisions are made. But if you say, I am still using the same policy um, addressing suspension and expulsion. Um, that's a requirement at one of the higher stars. Um, you don't have to upload that again. You can just keep using that until you change it. So how can educators best prepare um, for the switch as, as we approach the end of the grace period and in the next couple of years, more people, their licenses will expire and they'll join rising stars. How can they best prepare for that transition? Sure. Um, I would say the very first thing to do, which should be easy because I'm sure everybody, all of your listeners read Shortcuts, Main Roads to Quality's uh, weekly e-newsletter. So in that newsletter for the past couple months, we've been putting out what we call a Rising Stars for Me tip of the week. So those are hot button questions, things that we're hearing from the field a lot. Um, we ask the question, then we provide some guidance, some answers, some resources. So that's going to give you new information every week to like just take in small bites. And I know Maine AOIC has a great um, archive of all of those tip of the weeks on their website. That's super helpful. We're also building one on our website so folks can access those. So that's just like small bite. You, everybody can do that once a week because we're all already, already reading shortcuts. Phoebe does an amazing job. You can check out the OCFS website with all of the resources that we've uploaded to support folks with Rising Stars for Me. Um, the easiest way to get there uh, is really to go to the risingstarsforme.org page, um, which is the start of the application. But right on that homepage is a link um, to the all the resources on OCFS. So at your leisure, just take a look at that. Um, I would say for program directors, owners, administrators, another great thing to do is to get into the registry and go through your staff list, make sure that it is accurate, make sure that all of your staff, um, if you have staff, 
make sure that all of their registry information is up to date. So like if they've taken a college course, make sure that they've uploaded that to the registry. Um, and you're also going to want to make sure as the administrator that you have director of record access. Um, so uh, definitely go on the main roads to quality mrtq.org to the registry section um, that will give you information about how to set that up. It's very easy. You can just do it online now, but that gives you access to the rising stars for me application. Um, when you go into the application, you use your main roads to quality registry login for you personally, then you also have to have a license number. So we know what program what programs application um, to pull for you. And the benefit of having director of record access also for, let's say a larger program with maybe two directors of access or a director of record access and an assistant, you can both work on the application. So you can log in, use that license number and you'll be able to pick up where your coworker left off and vice versa. Yeah, those are, I think those would for like minimal lift, like things that, especially the registry, that's a, a thing that folks I think are doing regularly anyway, especially when we think about um, what's coming up with a supplemental salary program um, that d administrators and directors really keep that registry staff list crisp and clean and up to date. Um, so you're doing that anyway, um, and you'll have it done for Rising Stars for me. So... MRTQ is kind of in charge of ensuring quality in programs. And so, or that's my understanding anyways right now. And so I'm wondering what is the difference between what OCFS is doing for Rising Stars and what MRTQ is doing for Rising Stars? Sure. Yeah, that's a very important distinction um, in that Rising Stars for me is really a partnership. Uh, between MRTQPDN and OCFS, so Main Roads to Quality Professional Development Network, and the Office of Child and Family Services at uh, Maine's Department of Health and Human Services. You're right in that what Main Roads to Quality is doing is supporting programs to um, demonstrate program quality, to improve program quality, um, to get the training that their staff might need, um, to get advice on how to do, say, professional development planning. Uh, we have resources for every one of the standards. Um, there's a great PowerPoint full of resources on that OCFS website. So that's uh, one main feature of what we do. Another feature is that we are doing kind of the technical behind the scenes pieces of the application. So if a program runs into a bug with the application or, you know, oh, I can't log in or, oh, I'm logging in and like this piece is confusing me, that is something that Main Roads to Quality also is, is handling. Um, so folks can contact me um, with questions about that. As far as OCFS, they are doing the decisions regarding star rating. So when you submit an application, it's Amber Tarasi at OCFS, who is looking at your submission and issuing your certificate. If you want to, if you had um, a question about what your rating was, or if you wanted to um, ask that it be reviewed, OCFS would do that. Um, OCFS is going to be doing the on-site monitoring visits, so they'll be going out and doing spot checks on the portfolios and um, interviewing programs and just, you know, taking a look at um, 
all the great things that programs are doing. That's another one of their responsibilities. Um, and then also they certainly have the child care subsidy program. So those incentives that we were talking about, that is something that comes from um, OCFS as well. Okay. So in terms of what the educator or the director will experience, you guys are the ones to go to with questions about the application and that process. And then OCFS will be kind of like the deciding body on what the star rating is and they will do, they will come to the site to visit the program. Right. Right. So it's, and we are constantly emailing back and forth. Like there are many, many, many emails a day I get that are copied between Amber and myself. Um, so certainly don't worry if you like reach out to the quote unquote wrong person, we will get the question to where, um, to where it needs to be. But just as a general main roads to quality is like the supporting quality supports training piece and OCFS is doing monitoring and the actual rating. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a really helpful distinction. I think there are educators who are confused about, about how all of the different organizations mix and what the yes. are. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Is there any misinformation about rising stars that you want to address? Um, yes, there are two that I hear pretty regularly that I just want to speak to really quickly. Um, one we kind of already talked about and that's regarding the expiration dates. So when we get to the end of the grace period in September, um, I've had folks be like, oh, I got to fill out that application before the end of September. That's only if you had an expiration date between March 27th and September 29th. So if you were would have been like one of those first people in the first few months, if your expiration date was April 1st, you got a grace period to the end of September. And those folks will need to do the application. If you look at your certificate and it says, my expiration date is June 30th, 2024, you don't have to do anything at the end of September. You need to complete the application application by the end of June, 2024. Of course, uh, the like asterisk to that is you can do it anytime you want. Like we certainly um, want folks to do the application if they're curious, if they're interested, if they think they could get an incentive by filling out the application, absolutely do that. But I don't, um, the whole field does not need to feel the pressure that they have to complete that application at the end of September. Most people will have time, additional time. Um, and then the other misconception that I hear um, most frequently that like um, seems to have people the most nervous is around staffing. Right. And I just want to say, of course, um, up front, we know what an issue staffing is. We know um, how uh, what a significant barrier um, staff turnover is. We understand that. But um, I want people to understand when I hear things like, well, I'll never get to a star four or a star five because I'll have to have half my staff with a bachelor's degree. And that is not the case. You will be able to operate a star five program if not a single person on your staff has a bachelor's degree. Uh, what we're looking for at the highest star rating, um, so a star five, star four and star five, is that for, and I'm talking about facilities here. Sorry, I should have stipulated that for facilities. At those highest stars, we're looking for 50% of your 
regular staff. So those would be classroom teachers, assistant teachers, program directors, ed techs, um, not your bus driver, not, um, you know, the um, administrative specialist who works in the office. 50% of those that teaching staff to have a level five on the main roads to quality direct care career lattice. And you can achieve that with experience and a main credential um, or uh, a combination of college credits. So you don't need to have a bachelor's degree to get to a level five on the career lattice. You certainly can use a bachelor's, but it's not required. Um, so for folks who are like, oh, you know, I have these great staff, but they don't have a, a degree and it's just, um, it would be too much of a burden. It's a huge barrier for them to go back to school and get a degree. They don't have to. We have incentives around uh, earning a main credential. We have supports. Um, you folks at Maine AAYC have the TEACH program. Like there are supports and incentives out there to help folks move along. Um, up the career lattice, we could definitely help you uh, put a plan together for that to, to happen. Uh, but I just want folks to know that we are not looking to have a state full of programs uh, with bachelor's level teachers. That is not the goal of Rising Stars for me at this point in time, or for very many years. <laughs> we, we know how hard it is. We know how hard it is. Yeah, I think that's really good to hear um, because I know that's a concern in the field. Yeah. And so for people who maybe aren't familiar who are listening, though I think most people will be, Main Roads to Quality Professional Development Network has career lattices for educators and then also for directors and administrators and probably some other things. Um, And so that is like uh, just a way to keep track of your experience in your education. So if you have 10 years of experience, you might be at a level, you know, four. I don't I don't actually know what the levels are. So this is not a fact, but you might be at whatever level on the career lattice. But the more education you have, the higher you are on the career lattice as well. So it's like a combination of education and experience that moves you up the career lattice. And so then that is relates to rising stars and the rating of a program because we want people with more experience and more education at the higher program levels. Yes. Is that, yep. is that right? Yeah. When we think about it um, very generally like that, um, the career lattice has been in place for whew, like almost 25 years now um, as the place where folks can upload their educational training um, and experience. We keep track of that for you. Um, And we also help support you if you, like, say you are fairly new to the field, Um, you took one or two college classes, or maybe a few Main Roads to Quality core knowledge trainings um, related to a credential, and you're like, well, you know, I'd really love to get to a level five, and that would help my program, that would help me. Um, There are incentives for me to do that. We can help you Um, put together a professional development plan um, to make that happen. We have, um, we have a a credential coordinator who would be more than happy um, to talk to you about that. So 
Um, yes, that is how those two things are related. Like level on the career lattice impacts that professional development and staffing uh, standard area on Rising Stars for me. I guess I have one more question, which is the way I've looked at the Rising Star system, which I'm not working in a program right now, I'm working at Maine AUIC, so it doesn't impact me directly right now, but looking at it, it seems like you can reach a level five in one category, but maybe you're not at a level five in a different category. Um, like maybe you're at a level five with staffing, but you're not at a level five with the health and nutrition piece, right? And so I'm I'm curious if you know, and you you might not know the answer, but if you're really strong in one area and not as strong in a different area, how how does like your rating get determined? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so our state is what is called a block rating system. Um, so that means that in order your rating, your overall program's rating is um, based on the lowest score that you get in the standard areas, which is not, I mean, it, it doesn't sound great, right? Like, but that it nationally, that is what a lot of states work on, uh, work off. Um, so what we've tried to do with this new system is just exactly what you said, is to recognize programs that are meeting higher ratings um, by different standard area. So when you go in, you'll do your application at the end, um, you get, you'll get a page of recommendations of here are the things that you can do to reach the next, um, the next rating up. And then you go to your profile page um, that gives you your final rating. And what you're going to see is a block um, that lists out your rating in each of the standards. So you're going to be able to see right on the right-hand side, oh, I got a star, four stars in learning environment. I got four stars in program evaluation. I got four stars in family engagement. I only got two stars in professional development because we're having some turnover right now and we need to get some staff caught up on training. But you're going to see four, 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 two. And then at the very bottom, it does say a, a star two is your overall rating. But we very much want to highlight what programs are doing well. Um, as we move forward and get more programs um, into the system with um, ratings, uh, we'll be translating that uh, those um, visual star kind of, they're, I hate to use the word report card, but that's kind of what they look like. Um, those will appear on childcare choices. So when a family clicks on a program, they'll be able to see, okay, so this program is overall rated three stars, but look at this. All, look at all the four stars that they got. We're really invested in seeing that there's, you know, they have four stars in family engagement um, and that's important to us. So um, it's just, but the overall rating, yes, is one thing, um, but we want to make sure that the programs are celebrated for the things that they're doing well. Um, and not just that they can see it, but that we're celebrating it as well. Um, and one other thing I just want to point out is that our system is built upon the standards for the national accrediting bodies. So NAYC, the National Association for Family Child Care, um, Head Start, and the um, American Montessori Society, um, and also the Council on Accreditation. 
Um, so we based our the progression of our requirements on those accrediting bodies. So to get to a star five, you do have to have national accreditation. Um, so that's, uh, so once you do that, you get to a star five and then nationally accredited programs also have um, fewer pieces to fill out on the application. Um, we recognize how much work it is to get nationally accredited, how much uh, paperwork there is. So we've streamlined the Rising Stars for Me application for those programs. So they, there are only a few questions that they have to answer. Okay. And so like if someone's not nationally accredited right now, the progression to get nationally accredited mirrors closely the progression on the rising stars. So it's not like you're having to do double work. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time so much to chat with me. And is there anything else you want to share about rising stars before you go? Uh, no, I just, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I could talk about rising stars for me all day. Um, <laughs> but of course, if anybody has questions, like if anything is still unclear, um, myself, our partners at OCFS, our district coordinators here at MRTQPDN, we are all more than happy to talk, to, um, answer questions, to, um, hear your concerns, to, share resources, um, anything that you need, we are here. So please reach out to us. Amazing. And I will put in the podcast notes uh, the email for for you and for MRTQ. That way people Perfect. know how to get there uh, yep. if they need it. Perfect. Did you know that we secured $60 million in funds this past spring for child care in Maine? This historic investment is improving the system for providers, educators, and families alike, attempting to make childcare more affordable and accessible, and increasing wages for early childhood educators. But we didn't accomplish this tremendous goal easily. It took a huge coalition of people to advocate for effective policy and change. And if you're ready to join efforts like this and be an advocate for early childhood education on a state and federal level, then you should apply for Maine AYC's LEAP program. LEAP stands for Leadership in Early Childhood Advocacy and Policy. This is a year-long cohort program for educators, parents, and community members across the state of Maine to learn best practices and strategies in speaking about the most pressing, critical early childhood issues. The program includes opportunities to participate in activities and training, speak with administrators and elected officials, and organize with other educators, parents, and community members. If you're interested in becoming a better advocate and joining a coalition of ECE changemakers, you can find more information and the 2024 cohort application at maineayc.org slash leap. That's M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash L-E-A-P. The 2024 cohort application deadline is approaching November 17th. So apply today at mainyyc.org slash leap. So I am joined now by Laura Larson, who is the executive director of Family Focus, a child care program in Brunswick, Maine. So hi, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So Laura, as a child care provider in Maine, what is your perspective on the new Rising Stars system? 
rising stars isn't exactly a new concept for us because we've been doing the you know the um the uh quality steps before so i think everybody in that has been doing the quality steps before is all about quality you know we all understand the importance of quality we get the quality i think the biggest issue most providers and that we're struggling with ourselves is the timing of the change after the pandemic you know post-pandemic workforce issues um requiring more from our workforce um, without any kind of additional compensations or anything. So I think that's been the biggest struggle. It's not that we don't want to do quality. I think it's been much more around the timing of it. Um, and then some of the things that we're implementing was something that we were talking about in 2017 or 2018. And now post pandemic, those things are almost completely different now. It's amazing what the pandemic did to the childcare field. Um, and those are not necessarily even our biggest issues anymore. But I do think that there needs to be some investment if you're going to encourage providers to move up that career lattice. Mm, so I heard you mentioned the career lattices, which yes. I did talk about with Jen Wiles as well. Is, is that kind of where you feel like the biggest struggle is, is that staffing piece in the new Rising Star system? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, um, we stayed open. And because of that, we were able to keep the majority of our workforce, but a lot of them didn't. And those, some of those people had to go get other jobs. I mean, you can't just not have a job. And then as the post pandemic is now occurring, there are so many more workforce options. Women in general are, you know, fill 98% or more of the childcare workforce. We're a female dominated workforce. Fact check. All right. So. The childcare industry is undoubtedly a female-dominated workforce. That percentage that Laura quoted is up for debate. Just a quick Google search shows that the number of women that are working in childcare is anywhere from 87% to 97%, depending on where you are in the country, who did the survey, all of that sort of stuff. So it is definitely female-dominated, but we don't have reliable data to show how much is female versus male in the workforce here in early childhood in Maine. Now back to the show. Um, and there are just a lot more options out there. And we also struggle with our own family responsibilities. So we may be taking care of other people's children, but we still have our own. Majority of us are still doing the lion's share part of the work for our own families. So if the kids are sick or it's a snow day or things like that happen or the pandemic hits and these kids don't go back to school, somebody's staying home. And in general, the majority of that were women were staying home when their kids weren't going back to school or they don't have childcare needs. Now that's not to say that we don't have a lot more dads doing a lot more than they ever did 20 years ago. You know, I would say I've got 50%, 50% of men and women picking up and dropping off and taking responsibility. So that has been a lot bigger recently. But the career lattice, it is so difficult to get people to invest in their education with no financial support. Yeah. So it seems like, like, I mean, all of the issues you're talking about are just like inherent to the childcare system across the country. They and were there Maine. beforehand and they just escalated with the pandemic because now everybody's competing for that workforce. You know, we weren't competing so much with workforce people too much. Um, but now, I mean, McDonald's and Burger King are you know, advertising $18, $19 an hour because um, they need workers. Um, and then all they have to do is increase the, the price of a Big Mac, a hamburger, a Whopper, whatever they need to do. You know, you might see a 10 cent raise. You might see maybe a 50 cent raise. But in childcare, 
it's like $20, $30 a week, you know, to increase to make up to those salaries. You know, 80% of our child, our child care budgets all go to just salaries, but the plowing and the, the maintenance costs are going up, food's going up, electricity, water, everything is going up. Um, and so parents just to absorb that is our basic increase. But once you start talking about adding, increasing salaries, an extra dollar an hour or an extra $2 an hour, that's a significant increase to parents to try and burden that between the 40 kids that might be in that program to support that kind of wage across 12 providers. Right. So there's just like all of these societal, bigger system issues that we're experiencing that bear down on the childcare industry, which makes it hard to staff in general. And then it makes it hard to uh, get staff who have the kind of education and experience levels needed to move up the career lattice in Maine, which is how they uh, measure the rising stars uh, staffing. Okay. So I do think the rising stars, I mean, quality is expensive anyway, if you're going to do something at a certain quality level, it doesn't have to all be tied to funds, but you have to pay for that staffing. And I do think as far as the rising stars, the majority around the challenge that providers are having is around the educational piece, hitting those requirements of people having four years, two-year degrees, um, certifications, um, continuing their training, getting the MELDs, which is the main early learning development standards training that's required, getting all of those things to get the teachers to do it after their 40-hour shift. And we aren't capable, you know, back in the day, I would have my staff take, okay, you got a two-hour class today. Okay, so leave early this day or that day. I don't have enough staff to cover the shifts already. I've already shrunk my hours down in my programs to cover those shifts. So the other thing people aren't understanding is that these things are all starting to affect all the other economies. We are the economy that supports every other economy. And the childcare economy is taking such a hit that it's now rippling out. And that's now where businesses are like, hey, what's going on in childcare? People are starting to ask. Businesses are asking. I actually had a local business call me and ask me, this person actually knew me personally um, in the community and called and said, hey, I heard a rumor. One of my workers says they can't come to work on Fridays because you guys aren't open on Fridays anymore. Is that actually true? Like he was really amazed. And when I explained to him, yeah. And so he had to figure this out for his worker because his worker couldn't come to work on Friday. So for about three or four months um, last year, we were only open Monday through Thursday because I didn't have enough work staff to cover breaks and to cover everything. We ended up shutting down classrooms to, to fix it. And then the state has stepped in and they're going to add the quality bumps are based off where you are on the quality rising stars. So for example, if you take subsidy like us, subsidy is 75% of the market rate. It's not going to pay for the true cost of care for that low-income family that needs to use a subsidy, right? So up until now, we've taken them. And you get a quality bump that might help you a little bit with getting that price back up to what you need to actually truly charge or what your private rights might be. If they're going to attach the quality bumps to the rising stars, I could be a level five. And now all of a sudden, if I don't have the staffing requirements to make that level anymore because they've changed it, now I'm a level three and now I'm getting less of a quality bump. So now I'm getting even less for that subsidy child. And now we're going to either have to start limiting how many subsidies we can take or people aren't going to take subsidies because it doesn't make any business sense. Mm, yeah. So that reimbursement rate, you get more of a reimbursement for 
um, a student coming in on subsidy, the higher your, your star rating is. Correct. 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 And then that leaves the private pay families to help the private pay families are now paying more to help support the infant toddler programs and the subsidy families. So we've been doing it all these years, either by paying our staff less so we can keep the fees low and they're affordable for families, or we have to pay more and raise the, the fees so that some of childcare is becoming unaffordable, quality is becoming unaffordable for, those, for, um, for some workers um, and families. I guess I worry that we're leaving a lot of un- underserved people out there who are making more difficult decisions now, which is, okay, it's not like I'm even giving up half my salary. I'm giving up too much of my salary to make it justify working, which then affects the rest of the environment, the workforce, because look at the jobs we have open, right? We've got so many jobs that aren't being filled because there's nobody out there to work it because it doesn't make sense to pay for it with childcare. It's getting a little difficult for providers to, um, to keep those subsidies and to be able to justify doing the subsidies if we're not going to get paid properly for the subsidies. And then the private pay families are struggling to keep that. So we've been doing it on the back of our workers and we've been doing it on the back of parents. And now it's time that either we need to increase or include businesses in this solution, local businesses, and we need to include the government in this solution. It's not something we, we've been doing it all these years with between just parents and providers. We've worked it out. We've been, we'll take less, you pay a little less. Okay, you give us a little more, we'll take a little more. But it's always been on the back of the workers or the back of the parents. And that can't happen anymore. But the government is starting to take notice. It just takes a very long time to get things done. Um, I know businesses are starting to step in. I mean, we're seeing it all over the news. There are businesses that are now trying to step in and figure this out. But opening more childcare centers isn't necessarily the answer because we still haven't fixed the workforce issue. Yeah. So it's this huge like ecosystem of things that need to be improved to make sure that the system works. So there's wages for early childhood educators and benefits, which largely don't exist in the childcare field. Uh, and then there's also the eligibility and for subsidy for families, as well as the subsidy reimbursement for providers and centers and all of these different pieces so that people can go to work uh, and not, you know, go bankrupt trying to pay for childcare. But the other struggle that we have in this field is because it's such a low wage field um, and it's also a service industry that a lot of my workers also are on subsidies. So to work a full-time job and still need housing assistance and still need childcare assistance and still need SNAP and food and, and main care, I think it's, I think that's really sad to think that you can work a full-time job and you still can't make enough money to support yourself or your family. Mm. And so just to connect this back to like the rising stars topic in in the rising stars. (laughs) No, no. I love talking about it. Don't apologize. Um, But in the rising star system, one of the metrics is staffing, which is based on a combination of experience and education. So in order to get to that level five, you need to have a lot of experience and or a lot of education. Um, And and that's hard to do when the field is so um, tough to work in for so many reasons. And so because you can't get to level five in the staffing metric, your overall score 
uh, couldn't be level five ever, which impacts your quality bump for subsidy reimbursement, which then makes it more expensive for families if you have to charge more to take subsidy kids and all of those ripple effects of that one metric. Correct. Correct. And I do think that that's one of the challenges. And it also, um, the state hasn't fixed the taxing situation either. So if you are a level five provider, your families get the double tax credit because they get the certificate for um, a quality program. But any other lower level of quality, the families lose that. Yeah. There are so many ripple effects from that one metric, it seems like. Yeah. Besides that one metric, are there any other kind of major changes between the former quality rating and improvement system and the new rising star systems? The one thing that I think is a benefit to the timing of the rising stars was the fact that it came out when the stipends came out. Jargon alert. So Laura just said stipends, and I'm sure you know what a stipend is in general, but in case you don't know what it means in this particular conversation, Childcare workers across the state of Maine have been getting a $200 stipend every month from the state government uh, through the pandemic. In the la latest legislative session, they passed a bill that actually increases and extends the stipend program as a long-term solution to the staffing issues that the childcare industry is experiencing in Maine. So the stipends are actually going to increase in the coming months, but that is what Laura is referring to when she says stipends. The fact that it came out when the stipends came out so that there are more providers that are now being, there are more of us on the program. There's more of us that we know where they're at. There's a few more resources being offered. Uh, we know what size people are, and it's not like we need to be tracking that, but it's very beneficial for us to know how many licensed providers do we have. That's not a number that's always been easy to tell, so that we know where are all the children being served, what's making the most sense, because there needs to be multiple fits, multiple families, multiple ways of getting care. We're not saying that, you know, level five care is the only good quality care, because it's, we know that that, you know, you can be a level three and still provide very good quality. You just might not have the education. So I think that's the part that people are feeling very judged about with it. Is it because I've got people, you know, you hear them talking, you know, I've been doing this for 23 years and they're telling me I'm not quality because I didn't go and get a four-year degree, you know, but I've been doing it for 23 years. I, you know, I've been doing this. I've got a wait list. I got families that are just dedicated to me um, and they're doing beautiful job in raising and helping raise children when their families are working. So I, I, I have a hard time sometimes making it feel like that is the end all and be all of the quality piece. I just think there needs to be some other flexible pathways maybe to help some of those providers. So the other thing I would like to see us pushing a lot more and maybe getting some more programs up is the CDA. It's a child development associates and that can just be done by trainings. Um, and then your years of experience can move you up to that, but you can't get any higher than a five on it. So that would be as high as you can get with that certificate or an infant toddler credential. But yes, they do have a couple of good pathways. I just don't think we've invested enough as a state to help put maybe some more um, programs together to get these CDAs. We're doing it with the apprenticeship program through the MRTQ. So um, Lori Moses is running that now. So they took 10, um, which is great, but it's a much bigger problem to get people to get those degrees so that we can get them back out into the field and working with some of the home providers and centers and before and after school programs. But the training is definitely one that needs to be looked at. And that's, you know, and it takes time to do that. You know, I don't have the absolute solution to this issue. 
I just know that there's just more talk that has to happen and there needs to be more investment and there needs to be more support. Yeah. So the question becomes based on research and, and state mandates, we've decided training and education lead to quality. I don't think that's very controversial, but it's hard to get training and education for a whole bunch of systemic reasons in this society. So now that we've decided this is the quality metric, how are we going to support teachers and programs and directors and owners in achieving that goal of quality? Yeah. I mean, I would have liked to see quality stars come out with a pathway plan. Um, But how are we going to get people trained in these programs? And what can you come in and do with the people that have already been doing it for the last 20 years, 23 years? How do you step in and say to them, um, now you need to go back after 23 years and prove that you're quality and prove that you've been doing all the right things all these years without having to have to go take all these classes and have to take all these trainings? You know, is there a different pathway for some of them? And then maybe change it for everybody new coming in, right? So new people coming in, this is the way it is. But the people that have been here all this time, is there another pathway for them? Is it just a portfolio class where you just have to get together, provide a portfolio, show your expertise and show your ability to plan curriculum and show your ability to do observations and stuff and record keep? As long as you're doing it and you know how to do it, why does the fact that you had to take class mean that you, that you can do it better or that you can't learn on your own? 23 years, I guarantee they've learned it if they're doing those things. If they haven't, that's fine. Then now the classes are available to you and now you can learn how to do a parent conference or something like that. But after 23 years, I guarantee a lot of them have figured out how to talk with families and how to do that or they wouldn't still be in this field. Right. And that's why I think program, like we offer the Teach Scholarship Program, right? Which uh, we're expanding right now and we have 50 new slots, which is amazing. And I think that's that's funded um, in part by the state. Uh, by OCFS. So that's like a really great investment they're making to help support teachers getting their two-year degree at minimum while they're working still. So they can get those years of experience and their degree at the same time, which is lovely, but it's not enough to um, support the entire field right now. Right. I do think it's an excellent start. And I think it's so well needed, especially for the people who've decided this is going to be the career. Maybe they've just been in the field for four years or something, right? That's perfect. Hey, look, now there's money. You can't use that fact that it does, you know, it costs too much to go back to school, right? So now you can go back to school and get your degree and you won't have to come out owing loans. You won't have to do any of that stuff and you can do it at a different pace. That's great. I, the only problem is I have my 23 year old veterans who are like, I don't want to go back to college now. I don't, I can't even do the noodle or the doodle and the you know, the, the platforms and they get so stressed about the online. I mean, they have a hard enough time just focusing on zoom. You saw me just a few minutes ago um, to even get into these technology things. So it would be neat to kind of sit down and really come up with some really true, true quality pathways and really talk about them with the providers that have either used them or or are interested in them, but also get some views from some of the older, you know, there's gotta be some grandfather clauses we can do for some of the people who have been here for so much longer. No system is ever going to be perfect, but I think talking about them and just making sure that we're at least hearing people and seeing what we can do to resolve some of those um, waves that happen when we make decisions. I don't have a solution for it, but I do know that, you know, we just have to figure out how we can we maybe minimize it a little bit, but it doesn't mean that we can't go forward with the system they've created. Maine AUYC is coming up on our 20th year of existence. 
2024 will be our 20th anniversary year. And in celebration, we are going to have several events as well as several celebrations of our past and our future. One of those celebrations is going to be to honor 20 young teachers to watch. If you know a childcare educator who works with children birth through grade three in the state of Maine, you can nominate them to be considered as one of our 20 young teachers to watch. They have to be between the ages of 20 and 30 and have worked in the childcare field for at least two years. Nominate them today at linktree slash AEYC. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C. On our link tree, you'll find the button to nominate a young teacher to watch. The nomination deadline is October 31st, so don't wait and get in your nomination today. If you know a great young teacher, we want to know about them and celebrate them as the future of the early childhood field in Maine. Our last guest this episode is Megan Carrasco, who is the founder and executive director of Seedlings to Sunflowers, which is a childcare program located in Gorham, Maine. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. As a childcare provider in Maine, uh, what is your perspective right now on the new Rising Stars system? The Rising Stars system, I think, has been launched to help support us uh, with quality care for sure. Um, And I knew that they needed to start with a punting point uh, from somewhere. Um, I do feel like it was, it's a really tough time for providers to be receiving any different nuances in um, quality care um, because of coming rolling out of a global pandemic and um, having staffing shortages and that sort of stuff. so we, we went through the application uh, fine. Um, we are eager to get to the next star level. So we are going to be making those steps. Um, once uh, a group of directors got in touch with OCFS and were able to discuss um, changing some of the rising stars uh, protocols, amend some of the um, expectations, um, we were put in touch with people who were able to help us walk us through that in a more seamless way. Um, but I am worried that there is a lack of equity uh, across the board. Can you say more about why you think the system might lack equity? I believe that the people who have the ability to step outside of the classroom and outside of their roles and advocate for this field are the only ones who are be give, are given support right now. And I do know that this field is struggling in a lot of ways and that directors and owners are being pulled into classrooms and don't have the time and wherewithal to tackle this in a meaningful way. Um, And I do think that there should be more state support if we're going to fully roll this out. That being said, I know we have to start somewhere. And um, I am a huge proponent for when you launch a program, it's going to be bumpy and we need people to help us work through the kinks. Um, But I don't think that was necessarily thought about, about how this field is struggling and there's going to be a whole spectrum of people who are going to be capable of coming to the, who are offering quality, but are not going to be able to prove it because they don't have the time.
Um, I do think that this new system has put people, given people an opportunity to step up in quality when they are offering uh, it. I do think that the struggle right now uh, across the board seems to be the uh, employment situation and being able to meet those standards. Um, and so I think that programs are really struggling with meeting that quality standard where uh, they're able to have uh, staff that are meeting the expectations and the um, education that is needed to rise up in the rising stars. Um, I just think that any change in this kind of thing right now um, seems overwhelming to people. Once I was able to con connect with uh, somebody through OCFS who was able to walk me through that we were actually able to pretty easily meet the next step up, the next, the next level of stars for our own program, it made it easier for me, um, but I just feel like people don't have the wherewithal to wrap their heads around it. Yeah, and and like you said, the time, because if they're working all day in the classroom yeah. and then OCFS isn't available at 7 o'clock at night when, right. when the provider might have time, it's, it's hard to connect um, yeah. and get that reassurance about the system. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So how are these changes impacting your program and operations? We are already doing all the things. So it's, I'm not really worried about proving it. It's going to be to make sure that all of our paperwork and everything is locked and loaded and uh, make sure that we have uh, all the things in place to prove that we're doing the each, each step. Hmm. And you said the, the staffing metric, that part of the Rising Star system is the hardest one that you think or to prove or to show or to get. Yeah, to. I not people are leaving this field. And um, I think just as a state, we need to focus on and I think that the state of Maine is trying to support the employment in this field through the wage supports and that sort of stuff. Um, but to expect teachers who have been in the field for a really long time to go back to school and get their degree to rise up to level five or higher as you get up in the stars there's expectations around education that i feel like are unreasonable if we've been taking the trainings along the way um, which is you know a lot more hours of training than even social workers or people in in different fields need to take per year um, so i just am looking to bridge the gap between the educational expectations and the mrtq system um, that's like my interest um, so that maybe you don't have a formalized degree, but there is a, a road or a roadmap or pavement to something that's um, can prove that the teachers are offering quality education. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was talking to Jen Wiles from MRTQ and it it seems like the star five standard for staffing is that 50 percent of your staff are level five or higher on the MRTQ career lattice. And so I looked up what <laughs> the level five is. Um, and you don't need a degree, but you do need, if you don't have a degree, you need um, your CDA mm -hmm. and six years of experience, mm -hmm. which is which is a lot of experience. When you think about how much someone has to invest into an employee to move up to that star five, mm -hmm. right? If you have to have all your employees there for at least six years before you can get to star five, that's that's a long term commitment just to move up a star level. Yeah. And my worry is that we need people uh, uh, in all areas of the field and we need people in the field in general. And my worry is that it's going to hold employers back from hiring people fresh out of 
school or just turning 18 and wanting to get into the field in some capacity. And if there's not a, a quicker roadmap or an ability to get them to a place, and I mean, we will have to make a decision about whether we're going to forego our quality rating or hire a young staff who might be the next best thing in the field. And we would want to make sure that we're supporting people working their way up. Um, I also think that there's a lot of anxiety for people around such a quick turnaround of the release of the uh, the rising star system and then needing to submit by like we had to submit by September Uh, What quelled me is that we could submit our application at our current rating with no needed documentation. And then if we want to step up to the next one is where we'll, we'll need to submit everything online. Um, So that help was helpful. But, but again, I have the ability and time and wherewithal to connect with somebody to help me walk, walk me through all that stuff. So you spoke about like the, the issues with like the older uh, staff who have been in the field for a long time. And they've taken trainings throughout their all those years, but now they are expected to get their CDA or to yeah. get a degree. Um, and so what do you think would be a solution to that sort of issue? I just think if we're gonna have um, if we're gonna have a formalized I, I really love the courses through MRTQ. We've actually foregone one of our in-person and service days to have everyone take something through MRTQ annually whether it's MELDs or, you know, inclusive inclusion training or um, leadership for our older, you know, our leader leadership, uh, uh, you know, directors and administrative staff here. Um, but I do, um, I just, I feel like we do all this training and it doesn't seem to like get us anywhere uh, or not, not get us anywhere, but we do all this training. Like say we have people come into our program and do a training on, uh, sexual harassment or, or diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, it doesn't really map out the way it would through MRTQ or, uh, and, and I just, I'm hoping that we can have a discussion more openly about how those, what really gets us to the 30 hours, what is meaningful enough to get us to a higher level uh, uh, on the MRTQ career lattice um, and what do we need to prove um, so that there could be some sort of, we don't always have to go through MRTQ to map out our educational pathway. Mm. Yeah, that there are other resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of some of the struggles as we're switching systems. Um, what what do you think, or how do you think the child care system in Maine will benefit from from the change in systems? Well, I think it puts every it puts every licensed uh, child care center on the roadmap to quality, um, which feels good. Um, I do um, obviously, and I think I can speak for most everyone in the state, want there to be a measure for quality because it's you know we go into this field wanting to support children and families, and um, we don't want to just slap together you know that slap together a, a nonsensical program just for the sake of it. It's, you know, I think that's definitely we need a system like this. I also believe that we it's got to be kind of stumbly and clunky for a little bit. And we need to we need to speak up when it's feeling like something's more cumbersome or not working and um, also give praise to when it is working and when there's support, um, because I know it's it's just it's as I do advocacy work at the state level, I know as somebody on the ground, 
it can be hard to bridge that gap between the people who are actually um, working on the day-to-day to reach quality or to advocate for different things within the field um, and that the state can only do what they can do at, on a certain timeline. Um, so I am empathetic to everyone's place in the field, but I just hope that there can continue to be an open dialogue between directors and um, the people who can speak up. And then if we're speaking up, making sure that we're taking it to consider at consideration everyone's voices. Um, but yeah, I'm very supportive of a quality rating system all around. Uh, just wanting to, I just, I feel for everyone, this field is struggling on a national level. We're losing, what is it? 4,000 childcare centers over this next year. They're expecting uh, mm. over the cross of the United States. And um, it just feels like a hard time for people to even wrap their heads around, even, even if the change was so even if the changes are or were so minor to even shift gears right now, because people are just so overwhelmed with maintaining what they already have going on. So, yeah. And just all of the other things going on in society, you know, yeah. 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 Pandemic, <laughs> yeah. everyone out yeah. in general. And, and so, yeah, it's really hard to take on something new when you're just kind of recovering. Yes, totally. If you're even recovering yet. Right. Right. Uh, what do you think is most important for other program directors or owners in Maine to know about Rising Stars? I think if you can set aside time to connect with somebody to discuss your Rising Stars status and where you can or need to go from there, then it would be really helpful. It quelled so many of my um, concerns or overwhelm. Uh, I felt like I was like, putting it off, putting it off and it just dabbling in it and starting to upload stuff. And, and when I finally talked to somebody, they were like, you're easily at the next star level. Um, and so that was really helpful. Um, I think speak up if things aren't working and connect with people who also feel the same way, because it's going to be power in our voices down on the ground level, speaking up to the state to move things and find a better pathway. Um, and I, and I think if you can get involved with, the collaborative meetings that are happening with OCFS and MRTQ uh, to get on board if, if you're able to. I think everyone's doing the best they can, and I hope that we can all figure out a pathway forward that makes sense for everyone or nuances for the different varying spectrum of different centers and options that are offered in the state. Uh, I'm always along for the ride and, and speak up usually when I feel like things aren't right, so um, I just hope that everyone can jump on board in that way as well. Mm. Yeah, I really get that sense from you that it's like about collaboration and just yes. and fine tuning. Like like yeah. you said, nothing's perfect from the get go. No. Nothing you're gonna leave somebody ever. you're always gonna when you start programs like this, you're gonna leave somebody out. And unless we say something, we're not gonna know who that is and what that feels like. Yeah, I know that everyone's doing the best they can and with what they have. So <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate that like collaborative, empathetic attitude towards it yeah <laughs> there's been a lot of controversy <laughs> I know I mean it's I think those those meetings are intense as they should be and I so appreciate the people speaking up um and I appreciate OCFS listening and us tra- trying to figure out everyone has the different ideas and what makes the most sense um uh but we really need to keep engaged in the conversation if we're going to make it better so hmm. awesome yeah well those are all the questions I have so awesome Well, this was fun. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. 
this episode was a bit longer than our upcoming episodes will be, since QRIS is such a large topic in the field right now. So if you've listened this far, we appreciate you. Our next episode will be released in two weeks and will focus on the TEACH Scholarship Program. We hope you'll listen in then. This podcast is a production of the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children. You can learn more about us and the podcast at our website, maineaeyc.org. That's M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org. This podcast has been created, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kaylina Mills. Until next time.